How many of you like to be discouraged? Anybody like to be discouraged? How many of you like to be encouraged? Do you not believe that worship should be encouraging? Like every week you should leave encouraged and equipped. It's not that, uh, you know, that you know, there's not a call or a, a kind of a, a check on your life. It's not like that we don't need to tweak this or tweak that. But isn't it great to be encouraged? Isn't it great to be in an encouraging environment? You know, when you look at the Apostle Paul, and, and it's, it's interesting because uh, how many of you listen to the radio, listen to TV preachers or TV radio? Maybe I'm an old fogey and I do that. How many of you do that? Anybody want to confess that? Yeah, you know, and there's, there are some people on there that I love, and I'm not going to name names, and there's some people on there that I just kind of want to change the channel on. And what I find is, what I find is that those who are encouraging, those are the people I want to listen to. Uh, listen, I don't have to go to church to know that the world is falling apart. <laughs> all I have to do is turn on the news. I mean, look at the news and look at all the drama and all the stuff going on, and you know, you know that there's, there's stuff out there, and that stuff, it, we're not immune to it. It's all around us. And if there's anything that I think the body of Christ should be, the body of Christ must be an instrument of encouragement, not skipping away or shying away from the reality of the gospel, but absolutely embracing people with the gospel and encouraging them to follow Jesus. Because we believe and we know for those of us who have become followers of Christ, we know that following Christ is much better than the alternative. We know that following Christ leads to a better standard of life. It's better than anything that we could ask or imagine. And let me ask you this. How many of you believe that God has done great things in your life this week? God has done amazing things in your life this week. God is going to do amazing things every single day that he gives you breath. The question is, are we noticing it? Are we sensitive to it? Now, I know, I know what it's like to go back to school. I went to enough school, and I hated the first day of school. And here's the, here's the thing. The first day of school was never a half day. <laughs> I mean, I, we're very blessed. We have a half day of school tomorrow. Um, but the first day of school was a full, full rendition. And see, all the teachers, I don't know if they went to some kind of camp. I don't know, some kind of educator's camp or what, where I was growing up. But they would go, I, was, I said they went to a camp because they all talked the same thing. And they were very strict in the very beginning. They were mean. I mean, they were just mean. They weren't encouraging. They were discouraging. And for any of my former teachers who are tuning in on the website radio, this is God's judgment against you. You shouldn't have been that mean. I had it rough. I was barefoot and I had to walk up hills both ways to school. I mean, I'm just repeating what my parents told me and what my grandparents told me. Life is rough. But in reality, if you really want to know what happens in school today, and even as, as great as our school systems are, you need to go down on a Wednesday evening, uh, duck out, skip out on what I'm doing and teaching, and go down and listen to students. Or you need to go to Chris and say, you know what, uh, I wouldn't mind if it's okay if I can, if I can kind of jump through the hoops and find out what it's all about. I wouldn't mind necessarily serving as a chaperone for a trip. Because I'm going to tell you something, you learn a lot more living with students than you do just seeing them on Sunday morning. See, they all, see they look, look at them. They all look great. Do you all always look this great? 
Oh, yeah, liar. Emmy, that was your son, by the way. Yeah, liar. Uh, <laughs> students don't always look great. Students don't always act great. But you know what I found out about at least this group of students? They'll tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth is not what some of us want to hear. Because we want to believe in a virtual reality that everything is okay and everything is good when in reality some of our students are going through things all the time that are not good and not great. Some of you who are teachers in this room, you're going to teach students this year. And listen, they're going to come in, they're going to come in snotty-nosed. They're going to come in with words and vocabulary that you wish that they didn't know. And what you need to know is, you have no idea sometimes what kind of morning they had. You have no idea whether dad was in the home. You have no idea whether mom stayed out all night. You have no idea where these kids come from. But yet you are supposed to be the instrument of change for them in those four or five hours that you have. See, education is far more than reading, writing, and arithmetic as many of you grew up with. Now education, I hate to say it, but it's, I'm just going to claim it for what it is. Education is pseudo-parenting. A lot of the teachers, the only parental guidance, the only discipline that's even spoken into a child's life occurs during the school week. And guess what? Sometimes the only good meal a child has during the day is the one they get at school. And I invite any of you to go to the schools and eat what they eat. Okay? Michelle Obama made it done a great job with the education system and food, but it certainly has not trickled down to Elizabethan, Tennessee. Let me just say that. Sorry if I offended any of you who uh, are pro-food um, uh, pro in the school system. But if you look at Romans chapter 12, Paul says, and Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... The only thing that's attributed, in other words, all you need to look at is the mercy of God. The fact that God allows us and blesses us and gives us life, the fact that he has been merciful and gracious to, that, to us, in view of that, what we do as a result of what he has done, listen, we don't do in order to get, we do as a result of what has been done, namely, Christ is out on the cross for all of us. We've accepted him as Lord and Savior. As a result of what he has done on the cross, of our response to him, now we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And I want, I want to highlight the word living there. It doesn't just say offer your bodies as a sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now what's the difference in a mere sacrifice and a living sacrifice? What would, what would somebody say? What, what does it mean to be alive? Thank you, Jesse. Not dead. Boy, that's enthusiastic. What does it mean to be alive? It means to have zeal and enthusiasm and excitement. And as I've said this before, listen, if you're a follower of Christ and you look like you've been baptized in pickle juice, there's a problem. Because God is not intended for you to sit in the pew and look religious and pious and superior and holier than thou. God is intended to save you, 
call you and for you and me and all of us to be a living, breathing, dynamic sacrifice as we go out into this world in which we live. That doesn't always mean that we're smiling. We have bad days. I had a bad day Friday. I was coming back from the beach. I hit traffic in Asheville. I hit traffic in Asheville. An hour delay. There was no accident. There was no construction. An hour delay. You want to try my patience? You put me in the middle of Interstate 26 in Asheville. Listen, Asheville could have been wiped off the face of the planet and it would not have concerned me in the least. <laughs> I'm just being real. Friday was not a, a great day for me. And I don't need any testimony from my wife this morning. Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, not something that's stale, not something that's mundane, not something that's prepackaged, not something that's religious, not something that's pious, but something that is authentic, full of enthusiasm and zeal and excitement, the type of life that you would want. We don't have a problem going to a Tennessee game. We don't have a problem going to Elizabethan football game or Hampton football game for those fans in here. And we have so much enthusiasm and excitement. We are hoarse when we come back. Our throats, our voices are gone from screams and cheering. Would it not be great if God, God got that much attention from us and enthusiasm from us? If we could just have a tenth of that in our walk with Christ, can you imagine what kind of enthusiasm would follow us? Listen, contagious people... People who are contagious with the gospel, contagious people are always enthusiastic. The type of people, most people want to be around people who are enthusiastic and encouraging. We don't like discouragement. Discouragement is all around us. We want to be encouraged. No one wants to work for a pessimist. Nobody wants to be with a cynic. We want somebody that's a visionary. We want to be around people who are fun to be around. We want the people that will be the life of the party, so to speak. And that's what we've got to be able to capitalize on in the church. The church is not a call to become mundane, pious, and stale. The call of Christ on our lives is to be ambassadors of Jesus, to be excited. I'm going to tell you something. It's exciting about what Christ has done for us. It's exciting about the blessings that we receive. It is exciting to live in this place. It's exciting to be here, to fellowship together. We need to be enthusiastic. We need to be excited. doesn't mean that we don't have a bad day. doesn't mean that we don't fail. But it does mean that our perspective has been changed. It says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, that means set apart, different, and pleasing to God. And then it sums it up. This is true worship. True worship doesn't happen because a band's happening or organ or piano's playing and you show up and clap offbeat or whatever it is that you do and you sing off tune. That's not what it's about. True worship occurs when God's people present themselves as a dynamic sacrifice for the purposes of God. Not dead, but full of life. Not religion, but energetic faith. And then it goes on to say, do not conform, but be transformed. Do not conform to the patterns of the world. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, we have to be willing and able to change. Because as I've often said, when you and I stop changing, we commence dying. Life is all about change. Life is all about changes that occur to us, things that happen to us. And the question is, are we people that things happen to, or are we someone that's going to be an agent of that change, pushing forward, guiding and leading and directing enthusiastically? We don't want to be a people that everything happens to. We want to be creators of that type of change. Because we know that when we are followers of Christ, and when everything's right with the world, and when God's in his right place, when God's on his throne, and we are centered in his will, that great things happen. Namely, God draws people to himself. Notice, we don't draw the people, we don't save the people. God does the leading. Offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. It is an invitation to change. Renewing of our mind. And it says by renewing of our mind, we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. One of the, listen, one of the greatest questions I get all the time, Wednesday evening, in the hallway, I'll get the, or in the office, somebody make an appointment, they'll say, I, I just want to know how to know God's will. I want to I make sure that I know God's will. I want to know God's will for my life. I want to know what God's will is in general. How can I know God's will? Well, look at this passage of Scripture. Renewing your mind. That means that you have to set your mind to do certain things. That means that you have to change. You have to change. We have to change the way we look at people. We have to change the way we look at situations. We have to change the way we respond to people. We have to change the way we respond to difficult people. We have to change. We, we have to change if we're going to be benefactors of what God's talking about. Knowing God's will is critical in this life in which we live. And the only way that you and I can know God's will is making sure that our minds have been renewed in the Spirit of God. And what does that mean if we unpack that? That means we have to think about, as I've prayed about and I've talked about this morning, let's just take school for example, because we're focusing on education today. Um, I don't always, or I did not always, and I never actually, I never got to pick my teacher. I never knew my teacher, didn't know the name of the teacher until the first day of school. Uh, and literally what would happen is we would show up at the school and out there where there was a kind of a cover where the buses would come in and people would drop off their kids. And on those poles, on those metal poles were the classes. And they had big signs, K, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. We were all K through six in one place. And on those poles were teachers' names and students. I didn't know who was going to be in my class. I didn't know what students and whether my friends were going to be. I had, and listen, I had no choice in the matter. It was predetermined. And I remember from very early on, not only my parents, but uh, it must, I don't know who else spoke into this, but they did. And the, the fact of the matter was this, that I am where I need to be in this time and place. In other words, God has placed me exactly where he wants me. And that means that I need to make it work even in a difficult situation. 
Students, listen up. Even in a difficult situation, you need to make it work. Teachers, listen up. Even in a difficult situation, you need to make it work. The most obnoxious, arrogant, prideful, mean-spirited, evil, full of the devil, condemnation, wrath, or whatever else you want to put on a student. If that student is in your class, he or she is there to develop you spiritually. Take the opportunity to embrace it. Don't expel it. I know what you're thinking, teacher. Well, you haven't been spending any time in the classroom. Go ahead. I know that's what you're thinking. That's what Beth's thinking. That fan's just going upstairs. <laughs> I'm so dead. I'm so dead. Um, here's the thing. I pastor a church. At least you all get paid for, to work. I have to work with volunteers. Now, wait, 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 wait. I work with difficult people. Chris is impossible to work with. I'm married to a difficult person. I am a difficult person. It's all because of grace. But here... <laughs> oh. Um, but, <laughs> but here's the thing. I can't do this by myself. I don't need to do this by myself. I need to need people. You need to need people because we can accomplish a lot more than me. That needs to be your mantra of thinking as well. Together we can do a lot more than what we could accomplish alone. If we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, listen, not in view of the child that we have in the classroom, not in view of the teacher that we got, if we, in view of God's mercy and grace, offer our bodies a living sacrifice, nothing else matters. And then as we renew our mind, that means that we change our perspective of people and situations. Don't automatically think that just because you get criticized that people are out to get you. Don't automatically think just because somebody has a differing opinion that theirs is wrong or right and yours is right or wrong. Give people the benefit of the doubt. My ministry, listen, I could go on vacation 20 weeks out of the year if people would just simply follow that. Because I can't tell you how much of my ministry is about ironing over, smoothing over rough places, dealing with difficult circumstances that did not have to be difficult if God's people would have God's perspective. Give people the benefit of the doubt. People usually are not out to get you. Teachers are not out to fail you, no matter what their reputation is that precedes them. Students are not there to corrupt you. They're not taking notes and recording you to turn into the Department of Education. They're not. Make the best out of the situation. As we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And then, if that's not enough, if that's not enough struggle to do, if you look in verse 9, it says, Love must be sincere. That seems obvious. 
But how often do we love insincerely? How often do we love out of our own ambition? How often, listen, 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 listen. Let me, be, let me confess here. When I, was, when I was a student, my goal was to convince the teacher that I was the best thing since sliced bread. My other goal was to convince students, my peers, that I was cool and I really did not have the teacher's favor. So I played both sides of the street. Listen, my parents, I would give my parents heck all the time. And my parents would go to the school and the teacher would say, oh, he's such a nice person. He's so courteous to everybody. It's yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Now, I might be talking smack behind, my, behind their back. You know what I'm saying? But here, here's the reality. God doesn't want you, God doesn't want us to love out of selfish ambition. In other words, he doesn't want us to be good to impress people so that we get something out of that. Uh, we, you know, you don't, we, and we are very good, we are very good at loving things and using people rather than loving people and using things. Love must be sincere. That means our motives matter. And we need to take notice, even in student ministry, and this could work even, listen, adults, I'm telling you, students could teach adults a lot about the socialization of groups in this way. You have co-workers that are not believers, you have co-workers who are lost, you have co-workers who have different set of values than what you have. Don't become a monk amongst them. Don't separate yourself from them to the point that you don't influence them. You don't have to go to the bar and drink with them in order to be cordial with them. But you also don't need to stand high and mighty in the local church condemning them when they're not here on Sunday. In fact, it should be your obligation to go and invest in their lives. That's what we're called to do. As we become living sacrifices, it's not about what we want. It's not about our gain. It's about the advancement of the gospel. Love sincerely. Don't love because you have to. Love because you want to. And I'll tell you how this came to mind. Uh, the first church I worked at full time, the pastor of the church, great man, still in ministry today, uh, works as a director of media and adults at a large church and a mega church in Louisiana. And uh, he would always sign the newsletter, uh, or any letter that he wrote, he would sign it, loving you because he told me to. That's what he signed it. And I'd never heard of that before. I'm like, loving you because he told me to. That's the way he would sign his salutation at the end. And so one day we're in staff meeting after I've been there for a while. Uh, you know, staff don't get tenure. We kind of live in fear of the Almighty. Uh, and he was the Almighty. And so, uh, so I was... Uh, I was sitting there, and I go to his office, and I said, Dwight, I said, I need to ask you something. I said, you sign every letter that you, that you write to, to church members, and anybody, loving you because he told me to. Where did you get that? And he said, well, that's just always what I've done. I said, well, why do you do that? I mean, wh what does that mean? Does that mean if he didn't tell you to love people, you wouldn't do it? He said, are you serious? I said, no, I'm, I'm really. I mean, loving you because he told me to. That means if he didn't tell me to, I wouldn't do it. How many of us would be followers of Christ if we weren't commanded to do it? You need to think seriously about that. You need to wrestle with that. Some days we struggle. Do we do this because we've been told to? 
Do we do this because we've been told this is the right thing to believe or the right way to live? Or do we do it because we now know that it gives us the best life possible? I used to do it because I was told to. You're supposed to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. God, I just pray that you'd be with my enemies. Will you dash their kids' brains against the rock? And Lord, I just pray that you would guide and lead the right. And I'm quoting a psalm. You need to look at it. A psalm today. But here's the reality. We don't love because he told us to. We love because he first loved us. We love because we have been impacted. We love because we have renewed our mind. We love because our mind has been changed. We love because we've offered ourselves as a living sacrifice. And when you and I lay ourselves, our entirety of who we are, on the altar of God, he takes our feeble, humble offering. And he makes something incredible. We are able to do things that we could never ask or imagine. How many of you have ever had to deal with a difficult person? How many of you in dealing with that difficult person, you went over the line? You went over what you consider the line to be? Like you were just mean. We all have. What would happen... If we loved sincerely. You know, in ministry, listen, in ministry, you know, I think people have this nostalgic idea that all's right with the world and so everything's good at the church and the churches that we serve. Listen, there are problems in every church, there are problems in every organization. What if we loved with the compassion of Christ? What if we were compassionate to people? Regardless of their circumstances, what type of environment would that create? What if we let go of all the rules that we have constructed? And I'm just suggesting that we follow the ones in the book. How would the church change? How would the perception of the church change? Change is an integral part of it. And listen, we're not on this ride for a season. We're on this ride for eternity. That's why I encourage you to get plugged in to First Baptist Church. Because it's not the First Baptist Church that's typically in the county seat. I mean, listen, you had a minister on staff some years ago. He doesn't even wear socks. Something's different about First Baptist Church. Then you hired me, and some of you are still praying about that. Love sincerely. Don't love for what you get out of it. Love for what you give to it. Let's break that down a little bit. Uh, Teenagers, relationships. How many of you are in relationships? How many of you want to be in a relationship? How many of you are liars? How many of you in a relationship? Let's see hands. Let's see hands. Little relationships. Okay. Yeah. This will change your relationship. It'd be amazing. Parents. I know that I know parents and, and adults and, and, and senior adults, you all are the experts in love. I understand that. Won't you listen to this? If you loved people, if you loved your spouse, 
if you loved your boyfriend or your girlfriend for what you could give to the relationship rather than what you get out of the relationship, how would that change the relationship? Husbands, if you loved your wives as Christ loved the church and which he gave his life for the church, if you put her needs above your needs, if you put her desires above your desires, how would that change your sleeping habits on the couch? <laughs> Wives, what if you put your husband's needs above your own? What if you were in a relationship, teenagers? What if you were in a relationship, couples? Even if you've been married for 50 years. What if you were in a relationship where each of you put the other's needs above your own? I don't know. I'm just suggesting, gosh, that sounds like Jesus. Why is it that we think that this life that Christ has called us to is something that we just need to show up with on Sunday morning or on Wednesday evening? And some of you are asleep and now you're awake and you're tuning in. Why is it something we think that automatically happens Wednesday, Sunday? It should be consistently. It needs to emanate. That means it needs to come from a changed and renewed mind in view of God's mercy towards us as an individual as we present ourselves on his altar as an enthusiastic, dynamic sacrifice, not dead but full of life, not religious but energetic in faith, not conforming to the world but being transformed by Christ. As we love sincerely, making sure that we love because it's the right thing to do. We are loving not for what we get out of it. We are loving for what we can give to it. Teachers, what if you loved a student despite their disdain for the subject that you teach or for the classroom that you oversee? What if you loved that student? What if for 180 days every morning as you have the last couple of minutes before class starts and the bell rings, what if you prayed for that student and that student's family? I'm going to tell you, if you would be consistent with that, you will be amazed at what God does through you. Because it's not about what we bring, it's always about what He's done. Love sincerely. And then finally, as if that's not difficult enough, keep our spiritual lives in check. Look at verse 11 of the passage. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And then verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who need, practice hospitality. Don't let your enthusiasm wane, but keep it up. Don't let people determine your level of zeal and enthusiasm. You be the change agent that sets the standard. In other words, I'm calling all of our people to be thermostats rather than thermometers. You don't change with the temperature of your environment. You set the temperature and you keep it there and you bring everybody else to your standard. Not as you lord over them, not as you pretend to be superior than they are, 
but as you're in the trenches with them, that will absolutely change your classroom, that will change your profession, that will change your practice, that will change your school, that will change your life, that will change your friends, that will change our community. And ladies and gentlemen, if we just had 12 people, it could potentially change the world. Jesus turned the world upside down with 12 individuals. Surely with 300, we can put a dent in Elizabethan. Keep your spiritual life in check. Be joyful, patient in problems. And then sometimes the hardest things to do, and I want you to look at this, verse 14. Punch those who persecute you. That's what I've written in. No. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse them. I'm going to tell you something. That's difficult. That is difficult. Somebody punches me, I want to punch them back. In fact, I want to punch them back so much that I lay them out and they don't recover. That way they'll never punch me again. Is that not the philosophy? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to know how good you are as a follower of Christ? Can you bless the people that hurt you? Can you bless the people that hurt you? I've been in church all my life. I was in church since I was in the womb. I've been in broken churches after broken churches. Division. Just, you, I mean, just, I could write a book. Most people can. Because when you're in church, you're dealing with sinners. And we mess up. See, as long as it's we... It's good. But when it goes from we to us and them, we have lost God's purpose. I've been in many situations, as many of you have in the churches that you've served. People have been downright mean. I mean evil. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll be quite honest, I would step back from some of that sometimes. I would say, you know what, maybe this is just, maybe this is just my view. Maybe I'm off. Maybe they're not being mean. Maybe they're being good intentions. But every leader in those places would say, no, they're being ungodly. They're being unscriptural. And I've told the staff some of the stories. Here's the thing. There would have been a day and time that I would have dug my heels in and fought like the devil. But you know what happens when you fight like the devil? You become his instrument. Do you know what happens when people are mean to you and they hurt you? See, here's the thing for me. You can talk smack about me. Becky can talk smack about me all day long. You can. I give you permission. You can talk smack about me all day long. I can take it, but don't, don't go after my family. Now, some of you have that mentality. And sometimes, if you've been in church work or in staff, you know it can be, it can be a vicious, vicious place. 
But you know what? Ladies and gentlemen, church is not an option. It is Christ's avenue of salvation. How can I say that? Because Christ gave his life for the church. He thinks it's important. And so you and I don't get to make a decision about whether we're going to be a part of church. I don't get to make the decision about whether I'm going to be in ministry or not. And guess what? You don't get to make a decision about whether you're in ministry or not. Because when you are a follower of Christ and when you have given your life to Him and when you become a living sacrifice and you've renewed your mind and you're not being conformed to the patterns of this world but you're being transformed by the power of God, you don't get decision-making power. You get orders. And we have to choose whether we're going to be obedient to those orders. But in many of the situations that I've been in, and many of the situations that you all have been in, listen, it's not just First Baptist Church, it's at every church. There are things that happen, and you've prayed, and you're like, God, why, why are you doing this? What are you, what are you doing in this? How can anything come good from this? And I want to remind you, I want to remind you that if you go back to the very first book in the Bible in Genesis where Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, listen, in that story, how can anything good come from this? And then you get to Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 and Joseph says to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God has made good. so easy to attack when you've been attacked. Jesus had the power of the kingdom of God at his disposal. Don't you think for one nanosecond as Christ is being nailed on the cross before he's hung up on Calvary, don't you think for one nanosecond he didn't have the power to do whatever he wanted to. He could have snapped the soldier's neck. By going to the cross, <laughs> he demonstrated the power of God over the human condition. He demonstrated the ability to forgive those people who not only taunted him and scorched him and beat him and cursed at him, but murdered him. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And you know what happened on that day? When Christ died and he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last, it is finished. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. And the earthquake happened and rumbled. I'm going to tell you something. There were some Roman soldiers that gave up on the power of Caesar. And recognized Surely this man was the Son of God. Why? Because Christ blessed them and didn't curse them. When you and I bless people rather than cursing people, God gets the glory. We don't get angry. Our blood pressure doesn't go up. We don't have problems and anxiety. But we have to have the renewed mind. We have to have the change of heart. We have to take the initiative. It's not about what it's easy to do. It's about what he's calling us to do. And listen to me in closing. How do you know what he's calling us to do? We know when we renew our minds. We know 
when we don't conform to the patterns of this world. We know when we choose on this day to put our lives as a living sacrifice. Listen, being the best sacrificial student that you can be is what you're called to be. Being the best sacrificial teacher, educator, administrator, it's what you're called to be. Being the best sacrificial dentist is what you're called to be. Being the best, 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 best at whatever you do, it's what you're called to do. And I'm going to tell you this, if you surrender to that calling, you will bloom, you will bloom, you will flourish and you will experience joy like you have never, ever experienced before. It takes our decision. It takes His divine mercy and grace. And He is encouraging us every step of the way, even in the invitation today, as we sing, Come just as you are, it is Jesus singing to you, saying, look, come. Come just as you are. Renew your mind. Offer yourself as a sacrifice. Join Christ in his work today and be made new again. Will you pray with me? Fathers, we come into this place and time of service as we invite you and you invite us to join you. I pray for every person here, whether student or teacher or just, uh, just a visitor today. And Father, wherever we are, uh, no matter where we work, no matter what our job, our occupation is. Are we loving sincerely? Are we offering ourselves as a living sacrifice? Are we encouraging? Are we blessing people, even those who are against us? God, may your will be done in this invitation. As your Holy Spirit speaks, as you call, may we respond. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I ask you to stand. As we sing today, won't you respond? This altar is open. If you need to come and pray. Whatever you need to do, whatever decision that you need to make, will you be faithful, faithful to do just that?